Goldthorpe is number one. A kickstart for Australia. Gold in a world record. Now it's Donovan Bailey trying to pick up runners. Donovan Bailey is putting on the third. A perfect score, 10.0 for Nancy Cavanici, a perfect score. The first time I've never seen anyone get a over 100 years, nobody's won as many medals at the Olympic Games in any sport than this great champion, Michael Phelps. Usain Bolt, sprinting ahead, winning by daylight and setting a world record. 9.68, the wind is okay. How easy was that? It is Off The Podium, an Olympics podcast coming to you today for another interview episode and I am excited. Let's just put it that way because we're returning to modern pentathlon today, people. That is right. The greatest sport on the planet. We are speaking to two-time Aussie Olympian Ed Fern and competed at the London and Tokyo Olympics and great story here from Ed of how we got into the sport, as it always is with any of our pentathletes on the show, of course, learning about how they get into the sport, the unique obstacles that he had to overcome and the short amount of time in which he basically picked up pentathlon to then go to his first Olympics in London. And in between London and Tokyo, the extraordinary story about uh, how he just missed out on Rio and he almost took that as a good thing. And then the short time frame that it took for him to get off the couch, basically, and having not trained in four years to then decide to give another crack at the Olympics and ultimately be successful in qualifying for his second game. So this is a great chat with Ed. You're going to learn a lot about him and a lot more about the sport of modern pentathlon. So here's our chat with two-time Olympic pentathlete Ed Fernandez. Every single interview I say that I'm excited to speak to our next guest today is no exception, particularly when we can return to the greatest sport on the entire planet, modern pentathlon. Of course, we spoke to Queen Chloe several months ago about her experiences at the Olympics, and now we're going to hear from King Ed. I'm just going to say that right now. Two-time Olympian from London and recently from Tokyo in the sport of modern pentathlon. The one, the only, Mr. Ed Fernan is with me today. Ed, first of all, welcome to Off the Podium. It's a pleasure to have you today. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Very excited about it. Should be good. It's it's always a pleasure to speak about modern pentathlon. I was just talking to you a little bit about it off air about how we love it on the show. We we like to have this weird claim to fame, Ed, that we made it a thing just before Chloe won the gold in Rio because back in our Rio coverage on day one, we said modern pentathlon is the sport. This is the one everybody needs to watch. And what, 10 days later, we all woke up to a, a gold medal from it. So we, we weirdly like to say, hey, did, did we make this a thing in Australia? I mean, given that you competed <laughs> at the Olympics before we mentioned it, probably not. But hey, we like to try and say we did. Yeah, well, it's certainly a very uh, unknown sport in Australia and Chloe's helped support that and it's got a bit more coverage but uh yeah it's still not a mainstream sport that's for sure now your journey into the sport you you kind of obviously went to to london but tell us a little bit how you got involved in it because i feel and correct me if i'm wrong i'm sure you've met many athletes in in the sport who maybe uh, are going to prove me wrong but i feel is modern pentathlon a sport that some people really don't grow up going i want to grow up to be a, a pentathlete i mean is this something you kind of just fall into or i mean did you grow up going hey i want to be a modern pentathlete this is a sport for me yeah, well, certainly not. I didn't even know what modern pentathlon was until I was about 18 years old. Um, my uh, uncle um, lived next door to a guy called Hunter who trained the horses for the Sydney 2000 Olympic Games for, for the riding event in the modern pentathlon. And so he, he was always saying, oh, you know, you should give it a go. You can ride horses and you're a good runner. Um, why don't you try it? And for me, I, I grew up playing rugby and cricket at school and and did cross country uh, and was always riding horses in the school holidays down on a farm near Wagga Wagga. Um, so for me, I, I did a number of different sports and, and never really thought about doing pentathlon or taking sports seriously. Uh, it wasn't until I was at university, uh, my first year of uni, where um, I was looking for a personal challenge. I was doing a commerce degree at Sydney University, living on campus at uh, college there. And um, after 
a few months of repetitive hangovers, I knew I needed a bit of a change in my life. And so I was looking for a personal challenge and uh, decided to take up modern pentathlon. Well, I can't think of a bigger uh, personal challenge than taking up five sports into one. Wow, that's uh, that's crazy. And and when you decide to take that up, I mean, what steps can you do in Australia to take up modern pentathlon? It's not like you can just go down to the local cricket oval, is it, and pick up a bat and go, I want to play cricket. I mean, I'm sure it's a little bit more difficult than that. Yeah, well, I think modern pentathlon, one of the real challenges of that, which people underestimate, is all the logistical issues, the support issues, um, they're just, that is one of the major challenges of the sport, that there is no structures. There's no modern pentathlon coaches here in Australia. There's no clubs. There's no, you know, coaches and other support systems that exist in other sports. So for me, um, I had to find, do it all myself, find a way. Uh, Like the first person I spoke to was Daniel Esposito. So that was Chloe's father. And I met with him. Uh, He went to 1984 Olympic Games uh, and I sat down with him and I said, oh, look, I'm looking to do modern pentathlon, give it a bit of a go as a challenge. And he just stopped me and said, look, Ed, unless you're considering going to the Olympic Games, it's not even worth starting. Hmm. Um, You know, there's too much time, money, effort involved in the sport. Unless you're going 100%, you may as well just go and do your horse riding or you may as well just go pick another sport. Um, So... That was probably, at that particular point in time, that was fantastic advice for me because it it really solidified my commitment and said, okay, I'm going all the way. Like I'm going to commit until the, the trials for the London Olympics, which was in three and a half years' time. And I'm just, there's no whether I'm doing it or not. I'm going to commit to that time frame and I'm going to go 100%. And if I qualify, I qualify. If I don't, I don't. And, and I was 100% committed during that period of time and um (laughs) yeah i had to learn how to swim and i had to learn how to fence and shoot but it was uh, a a very very full-on training program but uh, yeah i was able to to uh qualify and and go over and compete with chloe in london because i can imagine to in speaking to him about that because uh australia didn't have a a male modern pentathlete in beijing so it's sort of what hadn't been since athens so kind of was there like that level of trying to find someone who could bring the sport back, bring an Australian back to the sport at the, at the next Olympics as well. And maybe it was a case of, well, you seem committed enough. I'm going to back you and kind of help you on this journey so we can get that spot back at the Olympic Games. Uh, well, we did have an athlete qualified for, for Beijing, um, a guy called Alex Paragon, who won the Olympic gold medal for Kazakhstan in 1996. So he had moved to Australia and had qualified. Um, but unfortunately, with a number of a number of things happened, which I won't discuss here, he uh, didn't end up going to the Olympics. So, right. yeah, there wasn't a, a male representative um, at at that games, and so the next Olympic games it was it was fairly hotly contested. There was a a Chinese uh, athlete that um, came to Australia to try to um, get citizenship. I mean, they brought in this this uh, rule, which um, at the time I was quite frustrated and annoyed about where if you uh if you're from another country you could come and and if you uh, qualified for the olympics um they'd give you citizenship effectively so we had uh, an athlete from china who who came over and was trying to qualify for um for australia and to put the things into perspective i mean i think china has about 200 professional full-time modern pentathletes and and this this particular uh um athlete he was highly ranked in China and had quite a distinguished career um, but wasn't able to make it on the Chinese team, which was highly competitive. In fact, they went on to win a silver medal in, in uh, London. Um, so I, I was up against him uh, as well as um, a, a no- number of other Australian athletes who had been in the sport for a number of years and were, were highly competitive and had done, done the international circuit. And, and uh, so it was pretty competitive and you know hotly contested um position and we only get one position so it's to, you've got to be the top male in oceania at the asia oceania qualifier um which was in chengdu in may in, in uh, 20 um 2011 so it was <laughs> certainly at that stage sort of you run through the emotions huge amount of emotions leading up to those events and yeah it uh, was a very very interesting experience 
Was it something growing up before you even took up modern pentathlon that the Olympics were part of your life, that you enjoyed watching them, that you had dreamt about maybe making the Olympics one day? Look, I think every single kid growing up has the thought or the certainly the ponders um, what it's like representing their country, whether that's in the Olympics or whether that's playing for Australia in cricket or rugby or, uh, you know, whatever other endeavour that they're really following. The idea of competing for Australia um, is something that I think you dream about as a kid. Most people never have that opportunity and something that I'm truly honoured to have done. Um, So for me, I I think... uh, when I decided to do this, the first stage just to be able to go out in there and compete for my country was a great honour um, and a privilege. And to be able to do that at Olympic Games certainly was even even more of an honour to do that at the sort of highest level. Uh, but growing up as a kid, yeah, I, I think um, had always have those dreams, but just never thought it would be possible or be you know, turn into a reality. You mentioned you had the riding, you had the running. Picking yeah. up fencing, swimming, and shooting. What was mm. the, the trickiest? What, what was it? Jumping in the pool? Was it? Was it the shooting? Kind of the fencing as well? Something that not a lot of Australians generally do. I mean, neither of them sound pretty easy yeah. to just pick up if you don't have much experience in them. Yeah, I think the swimming for me was the biggest challenge because it's just uh, most kids in Australia learn how to swim when they're they're quite young. Um, they have that feel for the water, as they say, as swimmers talk about it. <laughs> and so they, they grow up swimming and, and that's just a part of them. And, and I think once you've got that skill, it's quite easy to, to get it back, whereas I, I grew up running and doing other sports, so I didn't have, you know, besides swimming lessons, that was about it. Um, so I can remember the first time trial I did down at the pool, I swam three minutes and four seconds for the 200-metre freestyle. <laughs> Wow. Um, you know, the guys who are best in the world are swimming under two minutes. Yeah. Um, so for, for me, that was a huge challenge. But uh, I, I can yeah, distinctly remember going down there and I thought, oh, well, if I've got to be better at swimming, then I'll go get some stroke correction. I'll, I'll go get um, some support. Um, and so I met with a coach and had a one-on-one sort of swimming lesson and she asked me to do a floating drill and I just sank straight to the bottom. And she said, look, Ed, you know, unless you can float, you'll never be a good swimmer. So I think you should give it up. And um, I said, no, no, well, you know, the swimming's only one of the sports. So I, you know, I want to keep, keep at it and keep going. And she said, oh, well, okay, well, if you, if you want to do it, then you've got to join a squad and you've got to you know, train every day. And um, you're not going to keep up with any of my um, older swimmers. So, you know, the, my kids from uh, – would you'd probably be in line with the kids – in the morning that swim at 5.30 who are 12 to 14 years old. So wow. I actually started, um, which was a bit of an, you know, ruin of the ego and um, <laughs> but just brought me back down a level. So you know, for, for 12 months, I, I went and swam with the kids. Um, swam 5.30 in the morning every day down at Sydney University Pool. Uh, we swam there and, and uh, in that 12 months, yeah, I was able to get down from about 3.04 to uh, – about 224. Um, so it was a huge improvement there. Decent, in, yeah. <laughs> in, 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 in the swimming in that time. Um, and and from there, then I got to a position where I started moving up through their squads. And um, then I, I came across a really good swim coach at Ian Thorpe Aquatic Centre, a guy called Hamid, who, um, who really became my swim coach then leading up to, to London. Because is it a case where you need five individual coaches or, or someone like Daniel, like, is he spread around enough that he can coach you enough on each of the disciplines? Because obviously they're so unique in the sport of modern pentathlon. It's not, you know, like a, a heptathlon or something like that where it's all under the same banner of athletics. This is, these are five distinct sports in their own right. Yeah, and I think the other thing with these sports is that they don't complement each other. So they mm. re- require different muscle systems and 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 different um, uh, psychology and arousal levels that are required in each of the different sports as well. So I think that's also a, a major challenge. Um, for me, I think um, it was certainly <laughs> an interesting experience because there wasn't an, an overarching coach. So there wasn't someone who could put the whole program together and every person has their own strengths and weaknesses. They have their own background. So you've got to focus on where can I get the most points? 
And so look at it quite holistically and say, uh, am I going to target the swimming or am I going to target the fencing? For Tokyo, the preparation for Tokyo, uh, my coach, Dean Gleason, who was my athletics coach for, for London, he encouraged me to come back to the sport and, and try and qualify for Tokyo. And, and one of the uh, things I said to him was, if I'm doing this, you know, you're doing it as well and we're going all the way and, and uh, you're going to run the whole program. And so he ran actually all my swimming training, um, all my running uh, and was a, a holistic coach for me, which was fantastic for organisation, uh, but also in being able to you know, mentally prepare for my training each week. And I think that's that's sort of something in Australia where they're really trying to improve in the sport, provide some more structure for the younger kids coming through. We, we talked a little bit to Chloe about her training regime, but I'd love to hear your sort of training regime at the peak, particularly in the lead up to, to London. You mentioned you, you get switched to the training with the kids 5.30 in the morning. I mean, was it a case of then, okay, you finish by 9, go jump on the track, then by 12 you're picking up a, a you know an EPE and fencing? I mean, kind of was it a multiple sport mm. in a day or would Tuesday be fencing, Wednesday be shooting, Thursday be swimming, something like that? Yeah, so I, I generally uh, swim five to six times a week. I was running um, four times a week at that stage. I was fencing three times a week. I was shooting every day. And then I was riding once a fortnight. Um, yeah, riding was always something that I had in the bag and it was sort of like riding a bike for me. Uh, and even in, um, in t- leading up to Tokyo, I, I didn't ride much at all. Um, it's just something that coming up to a competition, I'll jump on the horse a couple of times to get ready. So that was good to have that in. So I was really only training for four sports. Um, but uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty full on. Most days are th- three sessions a day. So it's, it's very time consuming. And I think people that, that uh, do other sports, you, you've got to have the recovery. Whereas often in, in pentathlon, recovery is incredibly important. But when you're recovering, you're shooting and you're doing other things. So the time commitment, I mean, uh, the pentathlon, they train more than anyone else without a doubt just because we, we have to and it's the requirement of, of doing all those different sports. But we also can because you're not um, pressuring all your different energy systems. Um, yeah, you, you, you're focusing on different things all the time. Which you mentioned the mental aspect of it. I always love speaking to our guests about mental preparation for their sports. And again, pentathlon is obviously unique, which you've got five distinct sports and each in their own right would have their own mental preparations for it. But I mean, kind of how do you work on the mental side of things being having to be so diverse on five different sports physically and then mentally preparing yourself for something like shooting, which is obviously very mental based and horse riding when you've got to be one with a horse and fencing and all these kind of mental aspects that each sport has. Yeah, like fencing, for example, I, I always fence best when I'm very, very aggressive, um, have that, that laser focus, but um, have an incredibly high arousal level, and I, I literally want to go out and um, you know take it to them and uh, and and quite get in their face and and be yeah very very aggressive on the strip. Like that's my strip. I'm I'm there. That's um that's how I perform to the best of my ability. Whereas on shooting, it's about being as calm as possible being able to slow your heart rate, keep it steady and, and, uh, and just stay calm and, and as much as possible. Um, for riding, for me, <clears throat> that was just keeping the focus and just focusing on the rhythm and, and my breathing and, and just not – I think people make the mistake with riding is not letting the horse or, or they're, they're too worried about the things that they can't control. But when you're on that horse, you've got another animal there that's got its own mind its own way of doing things in a sense. Mm. So you've got to work with that horse and not try and control the horse, but work with the horse. And so part of that, I, when I get on the horse, I'm just counting my strides, counting counting each um, stride of the canter and just focusing on my lines and, and getting to the fence as best as I can. Um, but I don't want to interfere with the horse doing its job. Um, and then running and swimming, I always found quite, they were often the hardest to train for because of the physical work involved. But on competition day, they were the easiest to compete in. You just uh, you know, jump in the pool and go and do it. So it's um, it's uh, was was certainly an interesting process. But most of it is um, 
in the training aspect, you're always generally tired and it's, it's about mentally getting prepared for that next session because you're always failing. You're constantly having good sessions. You're constantly having bad sessions and it's about staying positive in those bad sessions. I think as I got to be an older athlete, I think one of the biggest things I learned with was getting more emotional with my successes and more emotional with the great things I did and less emotional or being able to discard my failures. And I think um, that's certainly been a really good lesson in life and even in my business and other things I've done is, you know, don't get too emotional with, with your failures, just move on and, and uh, try and be grateful for all the positive things in, in your life and, and, uh, and the successes that, that you have. Um, whereas I think early in my career, I was probably doing the opposite. I was um, expecting the, the successes and expecting that and, and, and just not putting too much emphasis on that and then getting quite emotional with my failures. So um, I think I've yeah, certainly improved in that, in that space. <laughs> well, I can imagine though, picking up a sport and three and a half years later qualifying for Olympic Games though might kind of uh, push you on a little bit with those feelings as well because I'm sure there's, there's plenty of times in that period where, you know, speaking with the swimming situation, for example, that you're thinking, wow, maybe this isn't for me, but you also seem like somebody mm. who just doesn't give up, Ed. <laughs> kind of, you're picking up a sport and oh. a very difficult sport and three and a half years later you can qualify for an Olympics in it. Yeah, and I think that's sort of a, a uniqueness to my story in that um, I was able to do that, which when you talk to people, they're training 10 years to make an Olympic Games and or many people, huge amount of people will train 10 years and will never make it. Um, so, yeah. I've I mean, been training for 34 proud. years, Ed. Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> and I still haven't made it. I'm still hoping. I mean, Andrew Hoy, 62. I'm just past the halfway yeah. point. So, who, yeah. you never know. <laughs> hey, we've got to, got to do some uh, riding sessions together there yeah, to get you on exactly. the horse. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. But it, absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. I, I, I really think that uh, that that time frame for me, it's it's – it was um, yeah, uh, something I'm very proud of, but being able to stay focused um, in that time frame and, and not look too far ahead and just stay in the moment and just look at, okay, what's the next competition? What's the next couple of weeks involved for training? Uh, and as I mentioned to you, I made that commitment that I'd go to the trials. So when I felt like a failure, uh, I remembered turning up to the Junior World Championships, which was in um, Taiwan, and that was my first international competition. I was so nervous. I was like wrecked with nerves uh, and, and I performed terribly. I think I came second last in that event. And, but it was just a learning experience. And I can remember on the bus afterwards just coming back and like you can't, I think like you're coming second last at the Junior World Championships and, you know, you're expecting in a couple of years to go to the Olympic Games. I'm not expecting, but, you know, that's what you're targeting to go to the Olympic games and like, how, how are you going to do that? But I, I think for me, it was, um, I, I was willing to work harder than anyone else. Um, at that particular point in time, I was hundred percent focused and really, really committed to the sport and, uh, you know, all things are passing. And for me, that was just a matter of, let's just go back to the process. What do I need to work on? How do I need to improve and, and learn and, you know, become a better athlete. And through all that process then, the moment you qualify for London, what's that feeling like that all that hard work you just mentioned there has, has paid off and you're officially, officially an Olympian? Oh, that was incredibly emotional. Um, I had a number of my friends actually flew over to China to come to that event and support me and, and have that there. But I think the big turning point for me was uh, in the fencing. So at, in in Chengdu at the qualifier, um, I was really nervous going in um, but uh, beforehand in the weeks leading up and then on the day I felt like I was I was in a, in a good headspace but I just kept on going on onto the strip and I just kept losing and losing and losing and losing and halfway through the fence I was um, in third last position I think I'd, I'd lost 13 and I'd won three and uh, all my other all the other Australian athletes would, were doing quite well. And if you have a bad fence, it's pretty much game over. And um, I can just recall at the big, it was, I got to a point where it was, uh, yeah, it just wasn't going to happen. And, and then my fencing coach, Bill, who was there with me, he just grabbed me 
and he just said, look, you, you know, you've lost, you've, you've lost now just go out there and just fight for it. And, uh, you know, turn, just turn it around. Like you can still, there's nothing to lose now because you're at a point where, you, you know, you, you basically forget about your dream. Um, you've, you know, you just got absolutely nothing to lose because you've, you've already lost it. Uh, and I can just remember he sort of slapped me in the face and that sort of slap sort of jolted me. And I just went to a headspace that um, I'd never been before. I, it was, it was crazy. It was like a, 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 a absolutely emotional <laughs> a supercharge and uh, I went on the strip and I had all my hard bouts in the second half as well and um, I won every single one of them I won 13 in a row at the end and ended up with a really good fencing score at wow. the back end of it and which which got me which got me through to the next event and uh, that was <laughs> I, I can remember coming off that strip and seeing tears in, in his eyes and you know, seeing that we were able to turn that around and then we've still got four events to go, three events to go. <laughs> um, and then from there, we went over to the swim for the warm-up of the swim and I just worked so hard in the back half of the fence that I dived in the pool and my all my legs started to cramp. So my quads were just cramping because I'd been loading them up and in the fencing. And uh, so that again, I was I was incredibly concerned that um, I wouldn't even be able to swim. Like that had never ever happened to me before. Um, so instead of doing a swim warm up, I just went in, put my suit on, and um, my coach was just digging his his uh, his elbow into my quad to stop it spasming. Um, and then when the race came, I just got on the blocks and thought, well, if I cramp, I cramp. I can't do anything about it. Um, but I got on the blocks and managed to achieve a two second PB and. Um, get through it, uh, and then rode rode well, and and then was able to go through the run and had a very strong run and qualified for the Olympics. So it was an incredibly emotional day, uh, and and to be able to share that with family and friends was yeah, some a day that I'll I'll never forget. The secret is the slap, Ed. You know that TV show, The Slap. That's that's what they should be writing it about. It should be about you, just a coach slapping you and get you to the damn Olympics. Yeah, well, we we do we do laugh about that. We still do laugh about that today when we catch up. So yeah, yeah that's right. I just expect that's this. Right. If people are watching you, ever they just constantly see your coaches slapping you. It's like you get there, it's about to yeah. swim. Slap me, slap me, yeah, coach. No. Come on. No, no, it's not a not a regular thing, but it, it did it did the trick. It did the trick. Yeah. Yeah, we so. we always like to hear about Olympic experiences outside of the competition. London, obviously, uh, a fantastic games and the hundredth anniversary too of of the pentathlon mm. as well. I mean, just sort of outside of the competition, do you soak up the Olympics? Are you going around the village, kind of taking it all in, and kind of all the 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 great things that no doubt come with being an Olympian outside of actually competing at the games? Oh well, London was an amazing experience because uh, it was such a good Olympics. It was um, it, the, the city of London was so accommodating, and it was just they put so much money and effort into it. Not that the others don't, but uh, I think it was sort of like Sydney, where um, we could speak the language. It was a beautiful place, and and uh, had a lot of affinity with London as well. Uh, I think the big, oh, I wouldn't say it was a mistake, but I think. The first couple of days, um, as an absolutely loving the Olympics, whenever the Olympics is on and I wasn't competing, I'd be watching every single event 24 hours a day, wasn't <laughs> sleeping, I think like a lot of people. And so when you're competing, you're like, oh, no, actually, I can't do that. I can't watch every single event. <laughs> but uh, So w- when we got over there, we're turning up to the opening ceremony and, and walking from the village to the, uh, the arena and, and the main stadium, and having it was about a three-kilometer walk, and having hundreds of thousands of kids just all lining the walkway as we we walked down there and and chatting with them, and then being held underneath the stadium, like the huge roar of that stadium, and it was like a coliseum, and you're just underground, not not knowing, and being able to walk out and experience that. that. Uh, and then the second day, I was um, one of three Australian athletes that uh, met the Queen and Prince Philip wow. um, in a sort of reception there, and. Uh, so you're having all these amazing experiences all the time uh, when you're there, and things that are just <laughs> completely foreign and um, <laughs> you know <laughs> that uh, just would never happen in, in ordinary life. I mean, even the first day I arrived in Tokyo, 
go down for a coffee in the morning and Ash Barty sitting there having her coffee and just sit down with her, have a chat with her for 20 minutes and, and then go off and spend the rest of the day. Like when do you do that? Like yeah. ever. <laughs> it's, so you, you have all these amazing experiences that are happening all the time and the great thing is that everyone's there together with the same objective. They're all trying to compete and even with the Australian team, everyone's so supportive of each other um, and it's just, yeah, great being a part of that team environment, particularly coming from an individual sport. You're just, you're just used to meeting royalty. You know, the Queen, Queen Ash, Queen Chloe is part of your sport. I mean, Jesus, you're just, you're just friends with all the royals there. <laughs> oh, no, well, look, I've, I've been very fortunate to have a, you know, meet amazing people and, uh, yeah, have a great support network. So, it's um, yeah, it's, uh, it's great. And, I mean, Chloe's done a huge amount for our sport, um, obviously winning the gold was helpful, but even before that, she, um, yeah, she, uh, was, um, yeah, great ambassador for the sport and has done tremendously well. The first, the first family of modern pentathlon, right? The Espositos. It's, it's pretty, uh, hard to go by sort of, uh, you know, the, how many Olympics between them all now? Like, uh, it's sort of, it's, it's adding yeah, up a little bit, isn't right. it? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. It's, uh, no, they're a family that. Um, well, I think when when you talk about the Espositos, the it, it is a family affair. But it, the biggest thing is that they they just put everything into it. And and Daniel, they have a, a, a swim school, and um, they don't have support. So one of the biggest things about pentathlon is less you, unless you've uh, really podium potential, uh, will they support you financially? Uh, and so Daniel really wanted to support Chloe and Max as much as possible. And, and so he moved the whole family to Europe, to Budapest, to go and train all at his own cost, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to support that and um, a huge personal sacrifice for himself and the family, which they were willing to do. And you know, Max came out of school to go and train and move over there. So, um, yeah, huge sacrifice on, on their behalf. Uh, and then they, they win that gold medal. And, you know, I, I always sort of laughed. Well, I, <laughs> I was pretty frustrated and annoyed, but in a sense, you had to laugh about it when all the media after Chloe won, they were saying how the Chloe's gold medal was the best return on investment for Australia uh, because basically they put no money into <laughs> supporting her <laughs> to get there. And, uh, you know, so you reach the pinnacle of your sport and you, you do that and then... Um, and and then uh, then some funding comes, but by that stage you don't need it because you've yeah. already got there. So it was a bit of a bit of a uh, like I think for them, and obviously we're starting to get some more funding in the sport now, and hopefully we've got Brisbane Olympics to look forward to. There will be more funding that comes, uh, but I think whenever I've turned up to competitions, particularly the Olympic Games, everyone there are full time professional athletes. They're all either in the military or uh, in the case of the British, lottery funded. And in Australia, we just don't have that support. And I think that's one of the major issues with um, Olympic sports with the lack of funding. And yes, we win a lot of gold medals. Yes, we're incredibly successful. But that's because of who we are as people and most of those medals coming from swimming and sailing and, and, and in those areas where we've got a huge base where money isn't really um, that much of, a, a, of an issue. But if... We're going to continue to perform well at the Olympics, um, yeah, and and we want to encourage these other sports to come through. Then, yeah, we've got to support them. Uh, and I've sort of been a very big proponent of um, in, improved Olympic funding, not only for uh, for the athletes themselves, but just to inspire the younger kids coming through and, and provide that support. So it's I think if we can do that, then then it's something that Australia will benefit from in the future. How was that experience in, in Tokyo versus London? So you go into London, a sport which, you know, we mentioned that often Australians don't know a lot about. It's really a sport Australians might only catch at that time 10 minutes of highlights on Channel 7 at 4 in the morning. And essentially mm. going into Tokyo where we've now won a medal in the sport four years prior, so a bit more attention on it. Did you find it a little bit different? Were people like Channel 7 maybe focusing on your event a little bit more now? Because they did show it live. They, they did show it live, I think, on 7-2 uh, mm. on both the days. Obviously, Chloe wasn't competing, but we, we now are a bit more aware of modern pentathlon in the country because of what happened in Rio. So how was that kind of with a bit more of focus on you than you would have had in London? 
Yeah, oh, look, for me, I, I <laughs> that didn't, didn't really concern me um, while I was over there. I, I mean, I've always been happy to do media interviews and um, I think this time around as my second Olympics, I came at it for different reasons and I had different motivations. And one of the you know major motivations was um, to be able to come out and, and inspire my kids um, and uh, to be you know, to, to go and have that experience again and which uh, I, I cherished my my London experience but in terms of the media um, I I didn't didn't notice it particularly um, and we were sort of kept away from those uh, media while we we're in the village so in London you could actually go out and speak with them whereas and, and you have press conferences where as Tokyo we really didn't really have any um, because of COVID any real engagement with them which just before we talk a little bit more about those experiences and you sort of touched on before about sort of going to Tokyo, Rio, you ultimately don't go. Uh, Max goes instead. What, what sort of happened sort of through that Rio experience and sort of how challenging was that not to be able to go to consecutive Olympics sort of and back that up and go to another Games in 2016? Yeah, well, I continued in the sport um, in after London, uh, after the London Olympics, I came back and I did a, a large charity horse ride over the snowy mountains for five weeks and raised some money for the Black Dog Institute, which was a a, uh, a cause that was very close to my heart. Um, and following that, I, I came back and really had $5,000 in my bank account and spent everything else to try and get to the Olympics and and didn't know what I was going to do. But I was frustrated being a poor athlete and I really wanted to start getting a job and start working and doing other things and build a business. And um, so it's hard to be 100% focused in the sport um, when you've got other, you know, other endeavours and other things you're trying to do as well. So in 2013, I was still training full-time, but I was trying to work full-time. I was trying to um, start a business and <laughs> a number of other things going on. And uh, I can remember in September of that year having a massive issue with fatigue and just over overloading myself with everything I was trying to trying to do and try and keep going. And um, so that was sort of my first major problem with fatigue. And and then I kept uh, kept going through to the Rio trials, as you mentioned. Um, just prior to the Rio trials, I had um, yeah had issues with fatigue leading into that event. Uh, and then we went over and competed in Beijing at the Rio Trials, and, and Max performed amazingly well. Not only did he win the Oceania um, position uh, in the Oceania competition, he actually won the Asia position as well, which is, um, has never been done before. So to put that into perspective, I think Chloe came seventh at that event or sixth at that event, um, and Max Max won it, which was an amazing experience. I think that would be up there with one of his his. Uh, career highlights and did it did really well so part of me was actually incredibly relieved once max won that because i felt like i could now relax and i could stop and I'd just give my body a rest and give my mind a rest i'd been training then basically for eight years full time um up to then and so it just allowed me an opportunity to stop <laughs> and mm -hmm. it was okay because someone else gave me that opportunity rather than um you know, rather than <laughs> me telling myself that I could stop. So that was that was good. And then, yeah, really plowed into my business and focused on doing a number of other personal challenges. I still love doing different physical challenges. Like I went and climbed a mountain in uh, Argentina. Uh, I was going to say, yeah, for somebody um, who's so fatigued, you did a few things that were a little bit more grueling. <laughs> I can see climbing climbing mountains and, and doing, what, the world's longest horse race. I mean, the, the fatigue yeah. there must have been a bit uh, challenging well, to overcome well, for those. It, 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 wasn't, it wasn't physical fatigue. It was mental. It was mental fatigue. It was, um, it was neural, neural fatigue. So um, being able to, yeah, when you're working full-time and you, um, yeah, just had so much, so much pressure and overloading in so many areas that that's what happens <laughs> but um yeah something i had to manage something i still need to manage but uh it's it's um yeah those those other challenges at least i could i could focus on those for for a period of time and so i wasn't i wasn't overloading myself for example in, in business whereas pentathlon is just constant it's constant so you, you've got to be always onto it which 
Then in the lead up to Tokyo, three months out from the Olympic trials, I believe, is when you sort of got that, hey, do you want to try again? I mean, did you ever imagine that that would be something that you would be doing going back to another Olympic Games? And what made you say yes? What made you go, okay, sure, I'll give it a crack? Yeah, well, it's certainly I never thought I'd, I'd, I'd go back, never, ever, in my wildest dreams. Um, it uh, was after after the World Championships um, in 2015, which was my final competition in Berlin. Uh, we I did a Teams event with Chloe there, and that was the last one. And then I sort, sort of said, that's my retirement done now. I can move on with my life. And, um, yeah, three months before those trials, my um, athletics coach at that time uh, – previously Dean Gleason, he called me out of the blue. I was working, walking into a business meeting and he said, oh, you know, I think you should make a comeback. And I, thought, oh, yeah. I literally <laughs> laughed it off. I was like, that's ridiculous. Because by that stage, I hadn't been training for four years. Wow. So I, I, every now and then I was riding my horses, which I enjoyed, and I was going for a run once or twice a week just to keep the wheels going. But that was it. I wasn't swimming. I wasn't fencing. I wasn't shooting. Nothing. So um, – yeah, that wasn't something that I was thinking about. And he said, no, you should make a comeback. <laughs> sort of laughed it off. And then two hours later, he called me and he said, no, so we're we going to do this. So we're we going to do this. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> no, I'm not. And, uh, and then I came back and saw my wife um, that afternoon and said, oh, you know, Dean's wanting me to make a comeback to the Olympics. And she said, you know, well, why don't you do it? And, and her saying that was sort of my first thought saying oh well, okay well it's you know, at that stage we had a three-month-old and uh, a two-year-old um, so it was yeah the thought with the kids as well and everything going on that for her to have to be able to support me in that way um, that was sort of her permission was uh, then the the reason that I actually started to contemplate it and and then I said okay well how, how would I do this Um and then I, I called around um, a couple of the executives and tried to gauge their level of support. And Kitty Chiller, who's the president of Australian Pentathlon and who was the chef de mission for Tokyo, um, she's a good friend of mine. And I asked her thoughts and her opinion. And I mean, she, she, her career in modern pentathlon is also an amazing one. And she actually, for when she competed in Sydney, was, was quite a bit older. Um, so to get her opinion and she was incredibly supportive and just said, oh, yeah, you should, absolutely, you should do it. And so um, I said, okay, well, let's just train for six weeks and see how we go. I, I had no idea where I was at swimming-wise and we had to – we had a – to qualify for the Olympics, you need to do a minimum performance standard. So there's, there's, a, there's a standard. And so of all the things I thought on there, the big challenge would be the swim – uh, which has always been a challenge for me. So I needed to swim at 2.14 um, or under 2.15, so 2.14. And uh, I had to do that in six weeks, which was a massive challenge. <laughs> so we went down and uh, I remember that first swim I had at Katoomba Pool and went down and I did a tr- time trial there and I swam 2.40. I thought, wow. oh, my oh my gosh, how am I going <laughs> to get from 2.40 to 2.14 in six weeks? Um <laughs> But we, we mapped it all out. I said, look, we'll go hard for, for that period of time and whatever will be, will be. And um, at, at the end of the six weeks, we had the New Zealand Championships in Hamilton. And uh, Dean put me through an absolute, <laughs> incredibly hard training for six weeks. He smashed me, absolutely <laughs> smashed me. I think I finished one swim session in that whole time. Um, yeah, we it was we called it. Uh, yeah, there was wasn't water in the pool. It was just all lactic acid by the end of it. <laughs> so that was a very very full on training for six weeks. And um, well, then I went over to New Zealand, and we had the swim there, which is the first event in the morning. And got up on the blocks and had my new suit. Went and got a new suit for the, the race, and I swam two fourteen point nine. Oh, <laughs> got, wow! Got the uh, <laughs> got got the time, and I thought, oh, okay, well, I've, I've I've done the time now, which is which is what I thought would be the biggest challenge for me. I didn't think I'd be able to do that, and then to be able to come out in six weeks and do that time, I thought, oh my gosh, that's amazing. And then I won the I won the fencing at that event. Um, 
I yeah, did well there. Um, and and then my run got me through and I rode, rode perfectly. So I managed to meet the qualifier and qualify for the trials. And then wow. I thought, okay, well, I've only got six more weeks till the Olympic trials. We may as well keep going. So <laughs> we did. <laughs> And there you so go. Was, and this uh, was and this was at the end of 2019, wasn't it? So this isn't even sort of after the reschedule. So basically, when you eventually qualified, mm, right. and you've got COVID and and postponements and that's everything, right. so yeah, it's a, it has more right. challenges, and, right? And probably the thing that everyone likes to talk about when when um, we talk about the trials is that that was actually held. Those trials were held in Wuhan in 20. Yeah, I was going to ask you about November. that. I was going to ask so, you, Ed. Was it you? Yeah. Was it? Did you get a bat so, when you were there? All, all, uh. all, all, all my mates always <laughs> joke that I was patient zero. <laughs> but no, no, no symptoms, no symptoms. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that that was uh, going over to Wuhan and and competing at that event was actually really interesting because there was a lot of the guys who when I was competing four years earlier were still in the sport. Um, so to see them and really just sort of turn up again and like walk straight back into it as like I had never left was a surreal experience actually. Uh, and I fenced really well on the day. I actually fenced exceptionally well. Um, I swam not to my standard because I was so cooked after my fence but the swimming, they actually in, reduced the amount of points that were for the swim, which was significantly to my advantage. So that didn't um, that uh, didn't cause me too many problems. And but I actually thought the most difficult thing on that day was the riding. I drew a horse um, that was probably the worst horse in the lot that day. Uh, we had an Australian coach who came over for the riding, and I went up to him and asked him uh, about the horse and. Normally we take notes on the horses because we get to see them them ride. And he said, "Oh, sorry, Ed, I don't have notes on this horse." And I said, no, "What do you mean? You've got notes on all the other horses. Why do you have notes on this one?" He's like, "Oh, I just I just missed it. I'm so sorry. I don't have anything." <laughs> oh, okay, righto. And uh, so we um, I got on this horse and it just starts bucking. I'm like, "Okay, righto." So I just looped it around, um, looped it around a couple of times in a circle, just trying to get it focusing on something else rather than trying to take me off um and then it <laughs> it stops and sort of rears up a little bit and um then we <laughs> just i had to really focus on just getting that horse moving forward and giving it a job to do and then we get five warm-up jumps and come around for my first warm-up jump and the horse just completely just stops right in front of that jump and wouldn't wouldn't go so oh this is great my you know, I'm, I'm uh, in a very good position here to qualify for my second Olympics, and now I've got the worst horse in the in the ride. <laughs> um, so we uh, got just got the coach to drop the the uh, the height of the jump, and we went over there successfully on the next one, and just tried to build its confidence. and And then I can remember walking in for my ride and just thinking, you know, you've won the Mongol Derby, the world's longest horse race. You can do this. <laughs> um, and, and uh, this is your your event, your ride, and and I went in there and um, I gave the horse a really long. Normally we get thirty seconds before we start, but I gave a really long uh, run in before the first jump to make sure the horse was moving forward. And I just kept my leg on it at first jump. I felt the horse hesitate as I was coming up, but I just like held my legs <laughs> into it as much as I could and got over the first one. And that actually gave it a bit of confidence. And then we got to the second one and sort of had a little bit of a look, but we got over that one clear. And then it was fine and we actually went around clear that ride and ended up winning the ride at that event and, and then it ended up in the final event with a, a minute um, a minute advantage into that final event uh, and, and was able to qualify. But I think the other funny story I've got from, from the, <laughs> the trials is um, because I'd just come back to the sport, I didn't have a pistol. The, the um, amount of uh, rule changes and innovation in the sport meant that my old gun was pretty much null and void so i had um uh, had to borrow a pistol and they gave me like a pretty much a training practice <laughs> pistol that i was using wow. <laughs> and so i i was using that and i thought well i don't want to go out and spend the three grand to buy a brand new thing if i'm you know <laughs> it for, for six weeks um leading up to the new zealand comp so uh, I, I turned up to the trials with this with this uh with this plastic pistol laser pistol and they did a weapons check and they took it and they said to the Chinese uh, official said to me, sorry, it's not, it's not heavy enough. There's minimum, minimum weight 
that the pistol need to be, which was a new rule that I wasn't aware of. And so um, I thought, well, how am I going to put weight on this pistol? So my coach and I walked walked the streets of Wuhan for half a day, <laughs> looking trying to find weights for this pistol. And in the end, what we ended up doing was we we went to a hardware store and we we bought drill pieces, little drill pieces, <laughs> and wow. and duct tape, and we duct taped thirty drill pieces to this pistol, <laughs> and and then took it to the officials, and they said, "Yep, no problem, it passes." And, so I qualified for the Olympic Games with a pistol full of uh, tape drill pieces around it. So it was wow. a, a bit of a bit, bit funny, but um, yeah. Did you keep that was... then for Tokyo? Was that your lucky pistol? No, I went and got a proper pistol for Tokyo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, I love so this MacGyver nature we're learning from our Olympians. I mean, Jess Fox, <laughs> I think, used a bunch of condoms to fix her, her uh, boat in the Olympics. So now you're using, uh, yeah, screw and drill bits. So this is the <laughs> The innovation here from our Aussie you, Olympians is crazy. You, you've got to do what you can do, right? You've got to, you know, find a way when there is no way. I'm just, I'm just seeing this now. There's so many TV shows about you where the slap MacGyver, like it's just it's building up. I, I'm liking this kind of how it's yeah. doing that. Which, which, come Tokyo then, the, the thing that I loved watching the pentathlon this time around was the fact that they encompassed all in a stadium. It was such a shame that they didn't have – fans because this seemed like it would have been an event i mean what's it what was that like kind of having all the events in one was that something you'd done at an event before kind of having them all encompass in one stadium or was this unique for you oh it was absolutely unique for me i'd never done that before but it was amazing that the tokyo stadium was where the uh rugby sevens was and was an amazing arena and it would have been extra special if we had forty thousand or fifty thousand fans in, in there that yeah. they were watching, but still, it was still a great atmosphere and still great to go out and compete again. And um, yeah, it was was awesome uh, that day being able to just get out on the on the uh, on the Olympic arena. For me, that was the second competition, in, really international competition I'd done in six years. So just to be able to go and compete again was uh, was fantastic. In both your Olympic appearances, did you set yourself a, a goal, finishing position, point score, obviously different formats, different points uh, scoring formats in London and Tokyo, but 27th in Tokyo and 31st in, in – uh, sorry, 27th in London, 31st in Tokyo. I mean, do you come out of those happy? You, you set yourself a goal, kind of different sort of uh, feelings on both uh, performances? Uh, well, they're sort of both different in a way and I think – uh, instead of looking at the position, I, I just look at how I performed in each of the events. Fencing is the only one where you really compete against someone else. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the other events, you'd just go off point scores. Now, I actually came, um, oh, I think I, I got beaten by 0.2 of a second in the swim. I swam a 210 in the swim and ended up coming last in that event in Tokyo. But for me, that was one of my best events. That was, in, you know, I was so happy with that performance because it was a um, an event where we didn't do we, we swam three times a week but we worked really hard during those sessions and uh, to be able to turn that around um, which was close to my PB with that amount of work I was really happy with that performance and and as I mentioned the, the swimming wasn't as important and then in the ride where I generally do do well I mean I wasn't as happy with that um, so I I try and take the position out of it and just say, well, how did I perform in the each of individual events and was I happy? I mean, overall, um, for Tokyo, I, I wasn't wasn't happy with my overall performance. I thought I swam well and I thought I ran well and was in really good shape. Um, and, you know, I rode, rode well enough, which is uh, I generally do. Um, but I think the lack of competition leading up to that event hurt me there and and uh I, I made although i was fencing really well and shooting really well in, in, in the in the lead up in training um i wasn't able to put that together on the day which was a dis- disappointing but uh it's um yeah it, it is what it is and i think for me i'm just so grateful that i've got so many um things in my life that that are that are going really well and really you know got amazing kids amazing wife and business is going well and so many good support network that uh, when you know you don't quite reach your goals you can focus on the things that are, are good in life and um, and, uh, and and reframe how you think about things but for me to just go over there and compete again and be a part of the Australian team 
um, that was you know, a great honour and privilege and so I'd prefer to you know, <laughs> be uh, very appreciative for the experience. Which does that then mean that this is it now, Ed? You're not going to be spurred on to go ahead to Paris or are you going to get a tap on the shoulder ahead of LA or Brisbane again from the coach and go, hey, three months to go, you want to, you want to give another crack? <laughs> yeah, Brisbane, I'd be, what, 44 years old in Brisbane? <laughs> hey, you're nowhere close to Andrew Hoy. Plenty of time, come on. <laughs> yeah, I, I know, I know. Well, I think I think the thing with the, um, the sport is that it's just so much time and, and uh, you need to be so committed in in all the in all the sports and um yeah for me i think uh, it's it's that opportunity cost of the time uh so i've done it i've done it again i've done two olympics which have been absolutely fantastic experiences uh but unless i thought i had a really good shot of of a medal at the next olympics so i don't think i'd be i'd be um going again so um other than that I, i'd really just like to see uh support the other Australian athletes and the younger younger athletes coming through and try and support them and build the sport up as much as possible. I didn't hear a firm no there. I'm just saying. I just I didn't hear a firm no. It wasn't I'm done. This is it. I'm I'm done. It was just it was a, not a firm no. So I'm saying there's a chance. <laughs> I think it's highly highly unlikely and I I, I, had, I had to uh, I had to make my declaration of retirement with the anti-doping the other day. So if, that, oh. if that's a, if that's a uh, if, if that gives you an indication, then yeah, then yeah, I think I'm I think I'm done. But there's, for there's an, a declaration for of adventure. retirement. How does that work? Like, oh, I I can now take drugs. Is that basically what you're saying? Like, I mean, how does oh, that you, work with the anti-doping? Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you come off the testing pools. So they stop testing you. Right. Yeah. They okay. stop testing you if you if you're if you're retired. So. Okay. I mean, they're not going to keep turning up to my house at weird times and scare, <laughs> scare my kids. <laughs> Don't hide the steroids anymore, honey. It's fine. They're not coming on Tuesday. <laughs> oh, no. no, no, no Ed, before we let you go, uh, if anybody sort of wants to stay up to date with, with you, the, the journey, whatever that may be, kind of moving forward, uh, can people follow you on social media or anything else you, you want to give a sneaky plug here on the show today? Oh, not really. I'm not really one for the social media, to, to be honest. I try and just keep more of a um, – yeah, I mean, I certainly enjoy my adventures, enjoy doing that, but uh, I'm not uh, not the one to be massively out there on Instagram or, or, or Facebook. Um, but, uh, yeah, people can certainly send me an um, email or message and um, or go through yourself and uh, I'm more than happy to respond. I, I know there's – if anyone is looking to do pentathlon, happy to provide some tips and assistance where I can. And look, it's a small sport, but we can always do with more members and improve the community. So very supportive of that. And um, hopefully uh, leading into Brisbane, we can look at trying to win another Olympic gold medal. Absolutely. Well, I'm just saying that uh, I can obviously run. Um, I've never ridden a horse in my life. I've never fenced in my life. I've shot one or two guns, but not very well. And I can mate, swim. That's, but that's enough. You can yeah. stop right there, mate. We okay. sign you up. Sign you up. We'll send, I'll send you the membership form. Please do. Please do. I'll, 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 ta- I'll take 11 years for Brisbane. I can do that. that that's fine. Um, Ed, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate, to be able to talk to you about today. It's just such an incredible journey for you to get to two Olympics and everything else in between. Uh, we appreciate your time. And uh, I now know that if I ever do get into the sport, I'll just constantly get slapped and that will spur me on. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. It's been great. And a massive, massive thanks there to Ed for his time. We we love the sport, modern pentathlon. I, I am sitting here in my modern pentathlon T-shirt, The any excuse to wear it, of course. And as we note in that interview, of course, royalty surrounds the sport. So a uh, very regal interview whenever we get a pentathlete on the show. Thanks, Ed, for your time. We're getting closer and closer to Beijing, of course, getting very, very close. And we do have a myriad of other interviews coming your way. Still mixing it up with the summer and the winter, but of course, uh, getting very close to getting a bit chilly and cold as we 
go towards the Winter Olympics. If you want to stay up to date with everything that we've got going on on the show, of course, hit us up on our social media channels. Search Off The Podium, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And to subscribe to the show, all the podcast platforms, Off The Podium, of course. Subscribe, leave us some feedback. We'd love to know what you think of the show. And as I always mention too, if you've got any requests, any guests you want us to get on, shoot us a message. We'll see what we can do. And any other style of episodes that you might want us to do as well, we're uh, open to hearing about that. So, uh, yeah, hit us up. We'd love to hear from you. Big thanks from Ed once again, and big thanks to you for listening out there in the podcasting world. My name is Ben. Special shout-out to Jason Momoa. How you going, Jason? Hope you're doing well. And until we next week again off the podium, always remember, go left. Turn your